Hello and welcome to ASTCT Talks, the official podcast of the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. We chat with industry leaders from all areas of the blood and marrow transplantation and cellular therapy field, including doctors, physician assistants, pharmacists, nurses, administrators, social workers, and more. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you so much for joining me. With me, I have Dr. Kirk Schultz. He's a professor at the University of British Columbia, BC Children's Hospital. And I have Dr. Stephen Pavletic. He is a senior clinician in the Immune Deficiency Cellular Therapy Program at the National Cancer Institute Center for Cancer Research. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. We are talking everything about chronic GVHD. First, I kind of want to start it off by talking about the third NIH chronic GVHD consensus conference, which happened in November. There was a lot of really exciting stuff that came out of that. So why don't you guys tell me a little bit about what was presented there and and what you specifically were focused on at that conference? We should talk about how these conferences, this is the third one that we've had, and it it actually takes over a year to plan this. So in November of 2019, we had the initial meeting where we organized the working groups, which then gave the product or their consensus uh, one year later in November 2020. Out of that, in the previous two conferences, there's always been manuscripts that come out, and this one also will result in five manuscripts out of four working groups. This conference was different than the previous two, which really did more focus on establishing criteria around trials and the disease. This one was forward thinking and really trying to set the stage for what are the critical questions and needs assessment? Uh, what, what are the critical needs in chronic GVHD for the future? The other things that were really exciting about this third conference that were different from the other two, first was that we had a session with uh, our industrial partners there have now been some really exciting trials that have come out in chronic GVHD over the last few years. And some of the backbone for those trials did come out of the previous NIH criteria consensus conferences. So now we're beginning to engage industry a lot more as experience has been on their side, as well as how do we merge the academic with the commercial, with the companies. And the last, uh, I, I actually thought was one of the most exciting parts of the, the consensus conferences, we have a patient advocacy group that met and presented an entire session and is beginning to organize to cause and support future advocacy. That's really cool. I guess for you, you said that this has been one of the most productive ones, but one of the most interesting ones that you've been to in the recent years. When you're looking at the scope of research that they promote or that they produce from this particular conference, what do you find most impressive? Maybe I can continue on uh, what uh, Dr. Schultz as I said, we live in times when we can say that almost every patient who is in need of an allogeneic uh, transplant could find a donor. And this is the point where this uh, conference now is uh, happening. We spent last 15 years uh, or so in chronic GVG field to define criteria, how we can conduct clinical trials, how can we diagnose disease or measure responses in clinical trials to create networks that uh, are able to 
conduct the studies and to define pathways that could lead to regulatory approvals of new agents so that we can bring industry partners and innovation to the table that they do want actually spend time and effort to work with us as a chronic GVHG and allogeneic transplant research community. So at this point, we have first uh, FDA approvals in history for chronic arthritis disease that was approved based on NIH consensus criteria. And there are many new agents that are exciting and developments that are coming our way. We have much better understanding of biology of disease and uh, a number of new ideas and the potential approaches are emerging that could really finally dramatically change the outcomes uh, and how we approach treatments of these patients. So the most exciting part is what Dr. Schultz mentioned is now we are not trying to redefine and polish our criteria for staging and other response. We are trying to think out of the box and say, okay, hopefully, you know, several years down the road, we can change fundamentally how we're approaching to this disease. That maybe we don't need anymore to use corticosteroids for the frontline therapy. Maybe we can predict who is the patient who is going to respond to specific treatments uh, in chronic GVHD. Maybe we can develop approaches finally in reality that we intervene before patients are actually sick. And all this is coming together at this third consensus conference that we are very excited about. That uh, first time now in sight, we feel it's at our hands uh, that's going to be some uh, fundamental uh, breakthrough in this area. Yeah, and that's pretty incredible because like you said, acute GBHD and chronic GBHD and just GBHD in general, these particular diseases we really didn't know a lot about them even like 20 years ago, you know? So the fact that we're being able to develop criteria and now being really proactive about our care to avoid these diseases is is pretty incredible. It seems like a very short period of time that we've been able to develop these types of conclusions. You're you're right. And, And, you know, I would just say that when you look at transplantation and its trajectory over the last really 40 years now is that, we have gotten really good at minimizing a lot of the toxicities, things like infections, toxicity of the chemotherapy used in the preparative regimens. And outside of relapse for malignancy, chronic graft-versus-host disease is the primary factor that affects the quality of life and even mortality in the later transplant period. And so people are cured of their disease and then are suffering with long-term ramifications and sometimes long-term chronic GBHD that never resolves. And it's really trying to focus on making transplants uh, safer, more efficacious, but really trying to make them safer and that people's long-term life is is as high quality as possible. I'm I'm a pediatrician. And so I'm really focused on, you know, somebody who's five years of age has a life expectancy of 70, 80 years maybe. And they can be suffering with chronic GVHD for a very long period of time for the rest of their life. And, and, and so we need to impact on this disease in ways that we just haven't been able to do that. And I'll just add that one of the things is we've had, I think a lot of progress has happened in acute GVHD. Mm-hmm. Chronic GVHD, we are still, do not have a good risk approach or biology approach to determine what is the best therapeutic approach for an individual. 
is drug A better than drug B? And we really don't know that. And we also know, as Steve has mentioned, that the long-term use of steroids is causing major long-term complications for our patients. And really the focus is trying to be more intelligent about what's the right drug for a, an individual personalized drugs or a, a particular form of chronic GVHD and, and minimizing the steroids. And, and that was a big focus of the conference. Yeah. It's really interesting what you're saying, Kate, because uh, chronic graft, graft versus host disease, it's a new disease in medicine, right? It, it's a man-made, you know, right. in, exists in nature. So relatively speaking, you know, in the realm of other diseases that we know of, first descriptions really came in 1978, 1979, chronic graft versus host disease, you know, recipients of allogeneic transplant, you know, and then over time as peripheral blood stem cells came into picture. So maybe like 15 or so years ago, we decided to, that we need to approach in an organized way. And I really see this an important milestone in this whole story the uh, New England Journal of Medicine paper that was published by Bruce Blazer and Robert Zeiser and others you know, it was a, co- a couple of years ago, where you have a review article and uh, covering the chronic GVHD in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, and I take it this really consolidation of, uh, of this uh, entity you know, in, in, the, in the realm of uh, a gallery of diseases in medicine, you know, as, as you said. So it's been really relatively short time, you know, and not that we are bragging now here how we, you know, resolved everything and invented everything. Actually, unfortunately, as we, you know, our treatments uh, uh, still need to be fundamentally changed, but we are finally at the point where we think that's going to be uh, possible. And Steve, on that point, Looking at what we've been able to do at this particular conference, you know, like you said, moving beyond just trying to figure out, okay, well, what is this, you know, how do we cure for this? And actually now saying, no, now we have enough information to actually start defining criteria to develop phase one, to develop clinical trials and to get FDA approval for you going from this kind of unknown wild west. This is something we are totally totally new, totally man-made to now we actually have some parameters of control for this. How does that make you feel as a clinician? Well, we are definitely um, very excited uh, looking back by the progress. You know, and uh, we are excited about the prospect that now we are finally able to roll out into community with this uh, results of uh, the communal work that was going on often behind the scenes uh, over the last 15 years. Because the main focus of these initiatives uh, over the last 15 years has been to develop uh, standards, how we do clinical trials and make it possible. So I have to say that often we, for the purpose of the project, and sometimes just uh, by default neglected really more aggressive efforts uh, to educate the, the, the broader community to work on the implementation of this criteria and, uh, uh, you know, in general, you know, the uh, developed guidelines. So we think we are now at the brink, actually, that's going to become possible. And this is what was mentioned before. This is why we're reaching now to create these uh, networks with industry, with uh, patient advocacy groups and all 
regulatory with all stakeholders uh, that uh, now uh, we are excited about really that uh, it is turning into into reality. You know, and the other aspect that's exciting you know, to me is you know we all came into this field really. And we, we should always keep this in perspective. We came into this field to cure leukemia, right. to cure blood cancers and uh, lethal diseases of the bone marrow immune system. You know, we did, you know, I didn't, when I came into this field, you know, I didn't dream of becoming a GVHD doctor. You yeah. know, I, was, I really wanted to cure <laughs> leukemia, you know, and then, you know, became the, the most effective therapy. And then we were facing this uh, enormous uh, difficulties in patients that were cured. But the exciting part is now is that the whole idea, you know, to separate damaging effects of graft versus heart disease with the curative effects, because all this knowledge is becoming as well uh, more closer to our fingertips. And in this consensus conference, we are talking for the first, first time seriously about preemption and prevention, you know, because, you know, you can't do good prevention if you, you know, hit with a hammer, you know, everything that looks like a nail, you know, and then hope, uh, you know, by some miracle, everybody's going to do just fine. It's not what the reality is. But right. now with deciphering, you know, approaches to learn personalized approach to prevention, you know, that, that's, that's becoming a reality pretty soon. It's probably our, uh, you know, immediate uh, palpable outcomes we hope from, uh, from this effort. You know, one of the other things about chronic GVHD and its care and it was a big emphasis at the conference is the multimodality approach that needs to, to be part of that. It isn't just, so a couple things. One is as hematologists, oncologists who are doing bone marrow transplantation, there's a bit of the surgeon mentality, if you want to put it that way, we're used to dealing with acute disease and we've had to change our hats and become almost like a rheumatologist with dealing with a chronic disease. Yeah. And or a, um, an endocrinologist who's dealing with diabetes, we've, we've got a chronic disease. But even more than that is it's a multi-system disease. There's, there's now, I'd say we have evidence that every single organ system in the body can be affected by chronic graft versus host disease in a negative way. I mean, there's more commonly affected like skin or tendons, but it really is almost any organ system. And so you need a multimodal approach. We need ophthalmologists. We need respirologists or pulmonologists. We need gastroenterologists. There's, there's all the different specialties in the care of these patients is required. And this is where it becomes a very complex setting for these patients and assisting them in finding, getting access and giving a coordinated approach to trying to uh, help them deal with their disease. Obviously we want to prevent it in the first place, but right. uh, there's still people getting the disease and trying to help them deal with this. This is another emphasis that we talked about. And, and we had input by a lot of the subspecialists in this conference as well. What was the most surprising thing that you had heard from the subspecialists about how chronic GVHD was impacting patients? Because like you said, it's most common. I, I don't know this. I could be, I could be correct. But, you know, when we talk about chronic GVHD, it's usually, you know, your hands, your skin, it's, we don't think about, oh, how is this affecting your liver or how is this affecting your lungs? You know, we don't think about that. So what was the most surprising thing for you to hear from these specialty clinicians in, in that aspect? Well, I think that there's a couple of things for the subspecialists. One is these are people focused on the disease mm -hmm. and talking about how we need to have better education of, for instance, you know, lung GVHD is one of the most fatal forms of GVHD and it affects 
about 10% of people that have chronic GVHD. And the mortality rate is relatively high. And a lot of respirologists uh, or, or pulmonologists are not necessarily have ever seen the disease uh, until they see it when they're consulted by a transplant doctor. Mm. So it's one of those is that we need better education. Ophthalmologists, uh, we have a lot of the mucocutaneous, so ophthalmology and the eye involvement is really common and it's very debilitating for individuals over, over years and years. The second part is that a lot of times when the subspecialist would see them is that they kind of look at it as the organ being involved. And, and understanding that we need systemic approaches for immune modulation or suppression, in addition to the topical local, is in a combined approach is, is required. So good coordination or communication between the subspecialist and the transplant doctor who's doing the more systemic approach needs to occur. And everybody acknowledges it's difficult in busy practice. Uh, how do you bring all that together? And there was even discussions about, do we want to train, maybe create regional chronic GVHD centers that a family, a, a oncologist, or even a family physician may need to refer the patients to. And, and I would just say, that's the last part is that caring physicians that have had the patient coming back after transplant are not terribly well equipped many times because they may have only seen one patient or no patients right. uh, with the disease. And, and they're trying to figure out how to deal with this for the patient and help the patient. And, and so that expertise, so dissemination, of the expertise, both in the subspecialties and, and the more primary care frontline doctors and the coordination is, is, was a big emphasis on how we, how we take care of this. Yeah. I don't know if you want to add to that, Steve. No, but uh, it's, uh, um, these are absolutely the points that uh, need to be emphasized uh, T. To answer to your question about most surprising thing, maybe just to re-emphasize uh, what Dr. Schultz just said, my biggest surprise was actually the frustration that's shared on the side of specialists and patients on the other end about access to specialty care. You know, these are two ends uh, of the same problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we heard from uh, ophthalmology specialists, you know, and they are, you know, eye symptoms in chronic GVHD is one of the most disturbing symptoms to patients. You know, it's on the top of the list. And we had this almost appeal, you know, and frustration from top specialists saying that they would like to get patients on time. They would like to get patients to see before transplant. They, they would like to have this more unfettered communication and access to patients when they can potentially do something timely when it's still possible to intervene or maybe develop trials that are necessary. On the other hand, you can hear the same thing from patients. You know, it's the biggest, they're all happy with their transplant physicians. You know, they love them. But when it comes to this access to specialty care to get to the right ophthalmologist, right dermatologist, right oncologist, it's a huge barriers and barriers are complicated. They're physical, they're, they're geographical, they're financial, they're systemical. And we as a transplant doctors in between of that. And maybe we should uh, kind of reach out as well to do something about that, being more aware of, about this problem. 
but it's going to need some uh, communal thinking, you know, to get everybody on the same page, not only patients, providers, and specialists, but as well hospitals, third-party payers, and others, you know, that really need to allow this to happen. And, you know, the engagement of patients uh, was really eye-opening, and and it has been over the last few years. What we as caring physicians or, or healthcare providers identify as top issues aren't necessarily what patients are identifying as top issues. And so as an example, one that's come up in the last few years that, that was an eye-opener for me was that chronic fatigue is a real problem for chronic TBHD patients. Mm-hmm. One identified at the meeting, which also, I guess I realized, but didn't acknowledge the magnitude is pain. These patients many times have chronic pain as well as part of their disease. And of course, depression is, is a real issue. And one of the patients made a very poignant point. She said, and she was one of the organizers. And she said, when I was at my, one of my doctor's visits, they says, well, we have to worry about depression, but, but you don't, we know we don't have to worry about it with you. And she says, wait a minute, I have to deal with this just as much as everybody else. And they assumed I was okay because, you know, she says, but I'm not necessarily. And so it's uh, really eye-opening how we really, really need to engage the patients in identifying what is the most important areas that they're struggling with. And many times it's not what we're focused on the, the skin and that's actually not the major issue for them. It might be their fatigue. They can't get up in the morning uh, or they're depressed. And um, one of them, um, I had a young adult uh, that we got into the, the group and I know she's actually had major depressive issues over the years, even wondering about going on with, with her, her, with her life. And so, you know, this is, this is a big deal for our patients and, and, and sometimes we're just so focused on trying to deal with this problem, we, we, we don't get some of the others. So the comprehensive, the completeness, the holistic issues around this very complex disease uh, is complex to treat, but it's also complex to support. Yeah, I mean, I think I know that at ASCCT in particular, you know, we do have a lot of patient care SIGs and, 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 or, and groups that are really focusing on not just the scientific portions of, okay, how do we treat and manage these diseases, but also how do we help our patients work through these problems or how do we, how do we reach out to our patients to ensure that, you know, we're doing the medicine that at the back end and we're doing the medicine in the front end as well. And I know that a part of this conference, they had a patient working group is I believe you said earlier, Kurt. We did, we did. And they did a whole section, which is now on an MP4 and it's going to go up on I think it's BMT InfoNet and a couple. So it will be up there. And I think these, and that's just start. They, they would actually begin, like to keep a continued effort, uh, which we're totally supportive of. That's great. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead, Stephen, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, no, just get excited about all this, you know, that uh, thinks that. You know, one of the other things is that credit for this is he set us up with ASCO. So oh. we've tried to get the word out with ASCO. And, and why is that so important is, is that's part of that outreach to doctors who aren't necessarily the transplant doctors, but they're hematologists, oncologists, and, and they're seeing these patients back. And again, they may have a few BMT patients and one of those has chronic DVHD. And again, it's this complex multimodality disease. And it's tough when they show up in your office and what do you do? And Steve runs a chronic CVHD clinic where that's all he sees. So it's a big difference in, in, you know, how he would approach it versus somebody who's, uh, this may be the only patient they've got with chronic CVHD. 
So we need a lot more resources for the patients, for the doctors, for the subspecialists. And we need more, you know, systematic, educated, you know, approaches. So this is one of the things talked about is, can we try to, we haven't felt we could standardize approaches, but maybe we can start doing this in future and make recommendations about these are the things you do because there are actually no clear winners on the therapies. It's, it's, they're all kind of working about the same. And, and this is where we talk about the personalized aspects of, can we be a bit more intelligent, but at least getting something a little bit more standardized out for people that, you know, don't see it. A lot of these patients, right? I can I can really reflect to that uh, as well. And this uh, discrepancy actually between what uh, we as uh, physicians and clinicians uh, think that's most important for patients and how they perceive it's probably one of the more or most eye-opening facts that emerge from this. Uh, advocacy and patients, you know, the, the summit, you know, and how to address those. Uh, we don't have pathways. You know, it's, uh, you know, as simple things as uh, doctor, what should I eat, you know, to make, you know, healthy or, or, you know, what should I do? I don't think we are trained enough. I mean, this what's an emerging field in, uh, they call it like lifestyle, li- lifestyle modifications, medicine mm-hmm. and others. Uh, there are no standards. But any of the supportive care and, and symptoms, the problem is that it's a, a field of uh, very, very little evidence, a lot of opinions mm. and confusion. And while we've been uh, historically kind of shying away from providing some guidelines because there is no evidence, I think we as uh, experts in the field, actually, we do have an obligation to provide guidelines to patients and, and, and community, you know, and how... Because we are seeing all these patients all the time, what, what we think probably would be advisable to provide some directions. And ASTCT is in a fantastic place you know, to, to be at center of this and distribute these uh, efforts and, and reach out to, to other oncology societies. Yeah, switching gears just a little bit, but kind of on the same thread, Coming out of the conference, there were some papers that come from the working groups. I believe it was from the working groups on different topic areas. And those are going to be featured in the new TCT journal, uh, formerly known as the BBMT journal. And I believe the first one is coming out in February, is that, or March? Is that correct? Kirk, you want to say? I can't remember now. Is it February? Oh, I can. I can say. Yeah. So, uh, yes, absolutely. You know, this is. Uh, is it March uh, that the first one is out, uh, Steve? Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's absolutely a case, as uh, as you said, that's a plan. These papers uh, that came out of the NIH consensus conferences historically have been top referenced uh, and cited papers in the former journal of uh, biological blood marrow transplantation. And now we are, we are planning to roll out uh, five primary publications uh, emerging out of this consensus conference. And first one would be coming out in April issue, oh, April. based on our conversations uh, with, the, with the journal leadership. So first one would be in April, and then on the monthly basis, uh, May, June, and July. There will be two in the second month because there's uh, that working group produced two. 
One of the other things to mention is on February 3rd and February 4th, there are two separate sessions that are summarizing that meeting in November at the ASTCT meeting. So those will be um, two workshops and, and just encourage people to see those. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's really incredible when you have, when you are able to go to a conference and, and meet with like-minded people about, in, about important topics and then be able to produce like such high quality, um, like you said, there are some of the top-sided papers. And I know, you know, we're very excited about having you guys at the TCT meetings and in the TCT journal, because this is a really important topic like we've talked about today. And I think getting more people involved in that conversation helps develop a better care plan for our patients and it helps the field as a whole move forward. And I just want to make a little plug that one of the emphasis we had was we'd like to engage more young investigators, more young researchers and transplant doctors and uh, researchers into the field. There are very committed people, but, you know, I think uh, what we'd really like to see is some of the younger, younger generation really get engaged in trying to help our patients and, and move this field forward. Yeah. Well, I know our time is, uh, time is almost on us. Uh, <laughs> so my last question for you guys is looking at the progress we've been able to make and looking at specifically at some of the things that are coming out of this conference and that are, people can look forward to in these papers. What do you think is going to be the next wave of chronic GVHD research? What do you think people are really going to focus in on and how do you think what we've learned now is going to impact that information? Well, th there would be a number of uh, aspects and uh, some that uh, I would like to highlight would be learning which drug to use in a given patient. So we don't approach on a trial and error basis, but we do and have ability to do something that's called personalized approach so patient doesn't need to go through unnecessary cycles of uh, treatments and not helping out. The other progress that we are excited about is combined drugs. So prospect of combination therapies, probably it's the way we're gonna have to be because we are still not sufficiently satisfied with the response rates. All these responses are usually partial responses. We think like in many other fields of medicine, we're gonna to have to combine drugs. The third thing would be prospect of eliminating corticosteroids. So we are proposing approaches to test these strategies that can drastically minimize or eliminate use of corticosteroids, particularly in the frontline therapy. The fourth aspect would be this idea of intervening before disease even develops. So these are uh, a number of uh, breakthroughs, but uh, we are not, not there yet. You know, and as Dr. Schultz mentioned, there's a whole this emphasis on biomarkers development that we don't have for the clinical use, you know, integrating clinical and specimen banking databases that we can learn as we are testing these new agents, really how to approach more in a personalized manner to our patients and without doing harm uh, relative to a number of aspects and, uh, you know, control of leukemia, including. Yeah. Dr. Schultz, I don't know if you have. Yeah, just to build on Steve's comments, uh, if you look at the progress in 
decreasing chronic TVHD, it's been in the preventative types of approaches. So that's either post-transplant cyclophosphamide or anti-thymocyclobulin as a couple examples. And so that's where our progress has been to date. I do think the next wave will be, as, as uh, Dr. Pavletic was already laying out, will be preemption type trials. Trials where we are able to identify patients who are at higher risk of getting uh, chronic TVHD or not as an early, some kind of biomarker driven indicator. And so that's where we hope that the field will advance, where we would have biomarkers that would identify the at-risk patients after they've had their transplant and then allow an intervention to occur early after their transplant to minimize the development in the higher risk group, whereas the lower risk group doesn't need drugs or as much immune suppression to, uh, and the toxicity associated with that. And hopefully we understand the biology well enough. Again, this is just following up on Steve, that we could say drug A versus drug B is going to work better for a particular presentation or biological phenotype of chronic GVHD if a patient develops chronic GVHD. That one is going to be, uh, that's a tough one because it is a very complex disease, but I think all of those are goals and there will be outside the five papers, one of the, that is, there's a working group forming that will talk about the current state of the biology and uh, Dr. Bruce Blazer is leading that group. There will be other secondary papers also coming out. For instance, there will most likely be an ophthalmology paper. I think we are working on one that is how it impacts on uh, middle income countries. And we're talking about these, these recommendations. They might work well in the United States or in Germany or Canada, but they may not apply as much to a, a resource challenge setting. And so um, this is another group that we're forming up. And I believe there will be a pediatric paper probably that comes out as well, because there are special aspects on how do you approach uh, for the children versus the others when they can't even do some of the screening tests for like lung tests, as an example. Right. Uh, it, it's all kind of different. So that there will be some spinoffs coming off of this. And the patient advocacy group is trying to figure out best ways. It's probably not manuscripts necessarily that they're going to try and get their message out and create momentum as well. It's really incredible to me how, like I said, at the very beginning of our, of our podcasts, how, you know, 20 years ago, we were like, what is, what is this? And now we're having these really in-depth conversations about not only what can we do from a scientific standpoint to find, like you said, what's better drug A or drug B, but also like, let's look at the socioeconomic impacts of the research and let's look at, you know, how it affects different patient groups. And, and I just think it's, it's really incredible the, the speed at which this has, research has come out about this and, and, and how you've dedicated clinicians like yourselves who are, you know, really looking at this critically. And I, I think it's really awesome. Well, that is all my questions for you guys. I just want to say thank you so much, Dr. Schultz, Dr. Pavletic, for coming on to our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you at the TCT meetings. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much, Kate. It was our pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of ASTCT Talks. Never miss an episode. Subscribe and provide reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about ASTCT, find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit ASTCT.org.